welcome to Subject Matter, where we help leaders navigate the tricky waters of building a company by shining a light on the subtleties that unlock empathetic communication, letting you build powerful relationships. I'm your host, Ben Bradbury, the founder of Astutely, and together we empower B2B leaders with messages that connect with their customers and employees, heads and hearts. And now, let's get into today's story. The problem with communication is I think we communicate a lot these days. People talk about I communicate, over-communicate, and perhaps that's true, but we're not getting our message across. People in the business world mistake communication and conversation as the same thing, when in fact the two are quite different. The Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw famously once said, The single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. We have more chances to communicate than ever before, but are people actually hearing what we are saying? And what's more, if you're a business leader, unclear communication with your team might cause disaster. Clint Paget is an expert in this field of project management and drawing the line of when one is necessary over the other, choosing communication versus conversation and offering a unique perspective. And in today's episode with Clint, you're going to learn how the history and true nature of communication is cyclical and that the new forms of communication we're using today might not actually be as new as we're led to believe. Second, you're going to learn when conversations are actually necessary, plus when there is a time to substitute two-way conversation for one-way communication, and knowing when as a leader to decipher the difference. And third is how to leverage experiences outside your comfort zone to become a more empathetic leader. We all acquire scars that reward us with hard-earned wisdom, and these can be used in our day-to-day life as business leaders. Effective communication allows you to become a better leader of your team, your company, and ultimately your life. And today's guest has rigorously applied those principles himself. Clint Paget is a seasoned entrepreneur with over 30 years experience as a project manager and leader. He is a published author, teacher, and expert in team building and the art of conversation. Since joining Project Success Incorporated in 1994 as president and CEO, Clint has been helping leaders and their teams implement repeatable, sustainable strategies to deliver high-stakes projects on time and on target. His latest book, How Teams Triumph, Managing by Commitment, focuses on the state of today's businesses and their internal teams. Long gone are the top-down days of management hierarchies. Today's most successful projects are cross-functional, have frequent conversations about status and progress, and eliminate ambiguity from the planning and management process. Clint is an expert in developing teams that allow us to thrive in this environment. Before stepping into the world of project management, let's first get clarification from Clint on what conversation and communication actually mean. In this one chapter in the book called Communicate Like a Person, Not an Emoji, I was doing some research and it turns out my definition of communication was wrong. In my mind, I thought what we're doing right now, you and I having an exchange of dialogue is the definition of communication. 
but it's actually not. If you look it up in Webster, the definition of communication is the act or process of using words, sounds, signs, or behaviors to express or exchange information. According to Webster, the definition of a conversation is an oral exchange of sentiments, observations, or opinions or ideas. It's the key word there being an exchange. When you exchange information, when you're able to ask clarifying questions, the message that you intend is delivered exactly as you intended. Clint had to learn this lesson the hard way. He admits to his own mistake and learned that with communication, there needs to be clarity of the information being relayed. Communication is most clear when there is a two-way dialogue. And while conversation goes back and forth after zooming out, the really interesting piece is that the actual nature of communication is cyclical. And the forms of communication that we're using today have actually been used before. And the new forms are not as modern as we might think. Back in the cave person days, if I wanted to talk about, hey, let's go out and kill this mastodon or the woolly mammoth, I would draw in chalk on the wall the picture with a spear and go, uh, uh, let's go out, you know, point outside, basically meaning let's go out there and, and find dinner. Then it kind of evolved over time. And for eons, we passed down stories about our past and our history through storytelling around a campfire. So the elder would tell the story about the past and about these other things. And then as a young person, I would hear that story. And then one day I would become the elder and pass that story down the same way through verbal communications. And we had spoken word. And then I think it was about 1979, email was invented. And when I found this, I was stunned because I had never heard of email until the late 80s. That's because it really wasn't popularized until the internet became prevalent, which would have been the late 80s, early 90s. That's when email became. And so now communications obviously went from these big, massive tomes to something really short. And then in 2006, Twitter came out. And apparently, if I can't say it in 140 characters or less, I can't say it. And then around (laughs) the same time, actually in Japan, they invented emojis. Emojis actually preceded that a little bit. But obviously, again, weren't popularized until Twitter. That's when the emojis really began to, to be prevalent. And so in my mind, I had this vision of grunt, grunt, picture on a wall in chalk, spoken word, written word. Now I'm right back to grunt, grunt, thumbs up, grunt, grunt, smiley face. And the problem with that is that is communicating, but it's not adding clarity because now I have to figure out what is the tone? What does that person really mean by thumbs up? Is it on my checklist? What does the check mark mean? It's on my checklist to do, or it's actually done. What does a smiley face mean? I'm happy to do this work or ha ha. I'm never doing this. You just don't know it yet. Right. I pull one over on you. So Those things don't really, they don't add clarity. We've both progressed further than ever in our communication while simultaneously coming full circle. The miscommunication that can happen with cave paintings, wondering what that caveman meant, is just as prevalent with emojis today. Less has changed than we might think. Now, on the other hand, there is the strength that an image, gif, or emoji can express better than any word or phrase could. Pictures are processed 60,000 times faster than the written word. And we learned in episode 23 of this season, talking about Emmett Shear and how he created digital connection across Twitch, the power of visuals to express emotions. So we'll leave it up to you to decide whether you think images can create more meaning or confusion. But certainly an important point here is that it is contextual, as we'll see later, and giving people that context. So what can we do if we are going to use these emojis and pictures to make sure that they are not a slippery slope to getting in the way of effective communication? When you put a a thumbs up, what does that mean? 
It's something you're going to get done. It's something that is done. When did it get done? What does a smiley face really mean? Let's have this clarifying conversations where we get to ask follow-up questions and be able to have clarity that comes out of the, the message. Now, learning from Clint, I think we can agree that a key theme here is coming back to clarification. Symbols can be ambiguous, but if we take the time to say, and here's what I mean by this, or you could have a company-wide set of communication guidelines that makes the meaning explicitly clear, then using symbols like emojis can actually be an efficiency gain. And they also have another powerful benefit. It seems to me that this new style of communication, these symbols almost act as a primer for in-person conversations. So when we send the the symbol saying, tick, we've got this done, then that gives us the, the cause for conversation. And what's kind of interesting as well is that even if I'm thinking about text and the way that written word is used today over email, over messenger, over however we're communicating with our clients and our customers, it always takes that extra step to make sure that we're on the same page. Because if I'm reading your marketing, I'm reading your sales copy, that might mean something completely different to me as a prospective client than it meant to you when you read it. And there's always going to be that slight variation. You're never going to know. It's exactly like the colors that we see. The color green that I'm seeing on my walls, for example, and the color white will be a slightly different shade to what you're seeing, Clint, and a slightly different shade to what everyone else sees. And likewise, that sentence means something very slightly different depending on our stories and our upbringings and our experience. So it takes that extra step. It takes, as Clint says, that conversation, the two-way dialogue to make sure that we're really seeing eye to eye on the message that we're trying to share. And I think the communication piece is important. I mean, I, I'm not saying we should abandon text messages and emails. All I'm saying is that should not be the 100% substitute for conversation. You know, we can have a conversation and I take away three to-do items and I might see in your text message later today going, hey, those three things are done. There's no reason to have a conversation about that. The written and spoken word will always have a place. But even it still has problems when it comes to its communication. What Clint is saying is that there always needs to be a conversation at some point, no matter how many texts, emails or voice notes might be sent, since conversations are the most important way to make people feel understood and you can't completely replace them. We say, hey, I communicated that to you, but you, you know as well as I do. It's hard to read the tone of an email. I may write an email in a very innocuous manner and have the recipient take it as, oh my goodness, why'd you say it that way? And it, there was no saying it that way. And when you have conversations, you're able to take in so many more nuances. I'm able to look at eye contact. I'm able to look at facial expressions, often imperceptible to the individual. They don't even realize they rolled their eyes. It just happened. Or the speech pattern that they've used, right? Where they're not really agreeing with me, and they, but they don't want to say they don't agree. And so they're, they're hedging their bets, hemming and hawing. You don't get that on an email. We have a multitude of ways to communicate in today's modern age, and that can make us feel like we're always being productive. But unfortunately, it's not the case. Different messages can be interpreted in different ways based on how we grew up and perceive the world. Text messages are very black and white. While speaking face to face, we get to see the subtleties of body language that cannot be conveyed otherwise. More importantly, there are many different shades of meaning to the words that we write, and it takes an extra step to fully align on what that communication means because we all have biases. We need to catch ourselves knowing when it is time to substitute 
two-way conversation for one-way communication. Let me look for those opportunities where I would typically just want to send off an email or shoot a text message. Let me say, is now an appropriate time that I should have a conversation? Should I pick up the phone and ask clarifying questions? Don't have communication be one way, be your default position always. Think of chances where you could have a conversation and don't be afraid to ask clarifying questions and follow-up questions because that actually humanizes you to the other people as well. Once you start inching the door open to having intentional conversations, this ability to connect eye-to-eye ultimately allows you to lead better. And that astutely, we believe that empathetic communication is unlocked for leaders when they leave their comfort zones. And this is a theme that we're about to see from Clint as he was forced out of his comfort zone much earlier than most. My father was a serial entrepreneur and he owned gas stations and we had a wine and cheese shop, some liquor stores, some beer stores and different points in time, construction companies. I mean, he was always off to the next great thing, right? And when you're a small company like that, you obviously leverage your children. So from the time I was six, I was doing whatever I could do. And as I grew up inside the company, you know, my dad's in the family from six to 18, I was sweeping floors, raking the, you know, the outside parking lot, picking up trash in the yard, and eventually being able to carry out bags to the cars for the ladies, uh, pump gas at the gas station. This is back when we had full service gas stations as well. All these things. What that forced me to do was, I think, work on the side of my brain that maybe would have been rougher if I had just been left to my own machinations of just doing math. Because I love math. I'll do algebra today just for fun. I think it's great. But I was forced to have conversations. And what that made was it turned me into a people person. I love people and I love having conversations with people. And to me, it's about understanding who they are as an individual by having, by being forced in that young age to work with individuals, work with people, and also, you know, see people from different socioeconomic uh, levels. Because we were not wealthy growing up. We were down towards the bottom of the pile. But coming from that background and being able to say, hey, we're all just people. People are people. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. At the end of the day, we're all individuals. With the experience of working at a gas station and being at the bottom while growing up, Clint learned how to interact with all different types of people. And he saw how we as people are more similar than different. It taught him how to bond with people and learn the importance of feedback. It was necessary for him to leave his comfort zone to understand others as people and form the empathetic bonds with them. Otherwise, if we stay in our silos, we stick to seeing others only by their emails or as one small, jilted part of their personality. But what happens if you stay in your comfort zone? You will inevitably, I believe, have conflict in your communication. We're all scared of leaving the comfort zone. Ultimately, it's this place where great potential comes to die. And if we stay there talking to the people that we are aligned with and never push beyond that, we're never going to be able to embrace our full potential. And for your example specifically, Clint, it's embracing the project's potential because without having engineering, marketing, sales, all these different silos working together, you're actually unable to achieve the goal that you set out to in the first place. So it's not just a nice to have. In the case of project management and project success, leaving your comfort zone is a must have. We have a concept we talk about a lot called shifting the worry curve. People, when they get another project added to their plate on top of the five or six they already had, you know, the new project comes in and let's say the, the deadline's a year in the future 
and they're already heavily involved in five other projects in various stages of completion. Not a lot of work happens at the very beginning of that project unless you force the collaboration to take place. What's going to happen? Maybe some emails go out. Maybe some meetings get scheduled for a future date. But in, uh, let's be honest, in a 12-month project, if there's no plan, very little to no work happens in the first six weeks. So now what you have is a 10 and a half month project, not a 12 month project because the deadline isn't moving, right? So we call that first phase uninformed optimism. The people just don't know enough to be scared yet. They're going to get to it. They have good intentions. They're going to get to it. But they haven't really worried about it yet. And so let's talk about the uninformed optimism piece of that. Why does that happen? Why, what, is, what is it about human nature that facilitates that uninformed optimism? And I think, why is that? I think because we judge ourselves based on intentions. I intended to do the right thing. I intended to start this project on time. I intended to work this weekend, right? I didn't intend for my child to get sick or something else to happen that I couldn't. So we base ourselves or judge ourselves off of intentions. We judge others off of what actually happens, off results. And that's why I think you have the, with the shift in the work curve, it's important you have to work earlier in the project because my intention is to do good. And on a 12-month project, I think I got plenty of time. And what, mm. what ends up happening in reality is when I finally do start working on that project, usually late, my level of worry begins to rise because now I know I'm in trouble. I don't have a plan that says that, but I know I'm in trouble. We move into vague concern. We go from uninformed optimism to vague concern, and eventually we hit the panic phase, right? In the panic phase, the project finishes late and with poor quality, and we've been throwing money at it to get it out the door as well right. because we, we live with unintended consequences of intentions as opposed to what actually has to happen. As a young child, Clint was forced out of his comfort zone to start building these conversations. And it was these childhood experiences that laid the groundwork for him as a leader to realize the importance of forming connections with people of all backgrounds, even if it was uncomfortable. It was necessary to complete his work to the best of his abilities. The only reason he was enabled to shine as an empathetic leader is because he left his comfort zone. Before we review what we've learned today, if you'd like what you've heard from Clint and want to see more from him, check out his website, clintonmpaget.com and projectsuccess.com, along with his new book, How Teams Triumph. You can also find him on Twitter, at Clint Paget. Our three big lessons from Clint. Number one, learn from the history of communication. Today, we're coming full circle. We've progressed in our communication tools, but we have to be careful not to lose that meaning with the symbols that we use. Embrace the different mediums that technology creates and use them to your advantage to form closer bonds with your colleagues, even when that means a face-to-face -face call over an emoji. Second, don't mistake communication for a conversation. Catch the blind spot when two-way conversation is going to be necessary over one-way communication. We all want to be productive moving down our to-do lists at work, but without forcing conversations and making it a two-way dialogue, there can be increased confusion caused by our inability to leave our comfort zones and proactively reach out to somebody. And third and finally is to leave your comfort zone to create empathy. Just like Clint did while working at a gas station while growing up to empathize with other people, you can do the same thing of not looking at people as numbers on a sheet, but rather as humans in a room. 
Choose to intentionally channel your experiences from leaving your comfort zone to become a more empathetic leader. As you walk away from this, look for opportunities to have the conversation. Don't have communication be one way, be your default position always. Think of chances where you could have a conversation and don't be afraid to ask clarifying questions and follow-up questions because that actually humanizes you to the other people as well. Hey, it's Ben here. Just before you head off, one quick thing. This podcast teaches you the skill of empathetic communication. And if you're interested in accelerating your empathetic communication and to start applying it to your brand and business, we've created an actionable five-step checklist which breaks down the exact steps you need to take to unlock this skill and start creating messages that connect with your customers and employees' heads and hearts. You can download it for free over on our website, weareastutely.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time for another episode of Subject Matter.